called Stella. Ask her to bring these things with her. Ask her to bring these things. Please call Stella. Ask her to bring these things with her. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the SCORE podcast, hosted today by Kimya Tahari. For today's episode, we're going to be talking about language and discrimination, the covert yet overwhelming power of language. Language, the term, is officially defined as the words, their pronunciation, and the methods of combining them used and understood by a community. Community is an important term here. We will be talking about language and how it is one of the biggest factors that plays into first impressions and how we perceive other people. We associate many things with language and accent. Background, intelligence, culture, beliefs, just to name a few. Despite its large role in our impressions of other people, we often don't think of it as such. Just as a review, the eight social identifiers, which we sometimes use to judge, view, and sometimes even use to discriminate, are race, ethnicity, sex and gender identity, ability, age, religion, sexual orientation, and socioeconomic status, in no particular order. Interestingly, you'll notice that language is not one of the eight social identifiers. Although there are expanded lists to include culture and language, it's still not one of the biggest factors we think of. But I'd argue that language plays into every single ism we know, from racism to sexism to even ableism. It plays into every social identifier. Based on the way others talk, we make assumptions about their socioeconomic status or their race. We have stereotypes about genders and the way they speak and hold conversations. If someone is physically disabled and speaks English perfectly, we usually don't bat an eye. But if they have some sort of speech impediment or condition, we begin to label them more as disabled, and it becomes harder for us to look past that label, regardless of intelligence or ability. Here's what we're going to be covering in today's episode. Firstly, I'm going to talk about Trevor Noah and his eye-opening experiences that he describes in his autobiography. Next, we'll briefly talk about Ali G, who broke cultural and ethnic boundaries with his comedy show from the 1990s to the early 2000s. Then I'll explain my personal experiences with the language barrier and accents, tying in my family. And lastly, I'll walk you through an exercise explain how language barriers and biases can be devastating for the people around us and what we can do to fix it. Trevor Noah is a South African comedian born to a Zosa mother and a white Swiss German father in South Africa. He is a prominent stand-up comedian and actor and currently is the host of The Daily Show, formerly hosted by Jon Stewart. In 2016, he wrote an autobiography entitled Born a Crime, Stories from a South African Childhood. Being a mixed kid growing up in South Africa, his commentary on language, race, and culture following a post-apartheid era is fascinating. This poignant memoir contains a few passages that I really enjoy, and I think they're perfect for opening up this topic. I'm going to be playing a small clip from his book where he talks about this specifically. Narrated by himself, here is an excerpt from Chapter 4, called Chameleon. As a kid, I understood that people were different colors, but in my head, white and black and brown were like types of chocolates. Dad was the white chocolates, mom was the dark chocolates, and I was the milk chocolates. But we were all just chocolates. I didn't know any of it had anything to do with race. I didn't know what race was. 
My mother never referred to my dad as white or to me as mixed. So when the other kids in Soweto called me white, even though I was light brown, I just thought they had their colors mixed up, like they hadn't learned them properly. Ah, yes, my friend, you've confused aqua with turquoise. I can see how you've made that mistake. You're not the first. I soon learned that the quickest way to bridge the race gap was through language. Soweto was a melting pot. Families from different tribes and homelands. Most kids in the township spoke only their home language. But I learned several languages because I grew up in a house where there was no option but to learn them. My mom made sure English was the first language I spoke. If you're black in South Africa, speaking English is the one thing that can give you a leg up. English is the language of money. English comprehension is equated with intelligence. If you're looking for a job, English is the difference between getting the job or staying unemployed. If you're standing in the dock, English is the difference between getting off with a fine or going to prison. After English, Tosa was what we spoke around the house. When my mother was angry, she'd fall back on her home language. As a naughty child, I was well-versed in Tosa threats. They were the first phrases I picked up, mostly for my own safety. Phrases like, I'll knock you upside the head. Or, You idiot of a child. It's a very passionate language. Outside of that, my mother picked up different languages here and there. She learned Zulu because it's similar to Kosa. She spoke German because of my father. She spoke Afrikaans because it's useful to know the language of your oppressor. Sutu she learned in the streets. Living with my mom, I saw how she used language to cross boundaries, handle situations, navigate the world. We were in a shop once, and the shopkeeper right in front of us turned to his security guard and said, in Afrikaans, Folk die swartes, net no steal alla eats. Follow those blacks in case they steal something. My mother turned around and said, in beautiful, fluent Afrikaans, Hukom folk ye ni die swartes, so dat ye hella kan help kree varna hella sukni. Why don't you follow these blacks so you can help them find what they're looking for? Ach, yammer, he said, apologizing in Afrikaans. Then, and this was the funny thing, he didn't apologize for being racist. He merely apologized for aiming his racism at us. Oh, I'm so sorry, he said. I thought you were like the other blacks. You know how they love to steal. I learned to use language like my mother did. I would simulcast, give you the program in your own tongue. I'd get suspicious looks from people just walking down the street. Where are you from, they'd ask. I'd reply in whatever language they'd addressed me in, using the same accent that they used. There would be a brief moment of confusion... And then the suspicious look would disappear. Oh, okay. I thought you were a stranger. We're good then. It became a tool that served me my whole life. One day as a young man, I was walking down the street. And a group of Zulu guys was walking behind me, closing in on me. And I could hear them talking to one another about how they were going to mug me. Let's get this white guy. You go to his left, and I'll come up behind him. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't run. So I just spun around real quick and said, Yo, guys, why don't we just mug someone together? I'm ready. Let's do it. They looked shocked for a moment, and then they started laughing. Oh, sorry, dude. 
We thought you were something else. We weren't trying to take anything from you. We were trying to steal from white people. Have a good day, man. They were ready to do me violent harm until they felt we were part of the same tribe. And then we were cool. That and so many other smaller incidents in my life made me realize that language, even more than color, defines who you are to people. I became a chameleon. My color didn't change, but I could change your perception of my color. If you spoke to me in Zulu, I replied to you in Zulu. If you spoke to me in Tswana, I replied to you in Tswana. Maybe I didn't look like you, but if I spoke like you, I was you. This excerpt always sticks out to me because his perception of race is so different to my own. When he talks about what makes us different, he talks about language. The story about him in an alleyway about to be mugged is especially memorable. While listening to him read his own autobiography, I began to think more about language, and it's when I began to realize how much of a role it plays in our perceptions of other people. Even an accent can greatly change how you perceive someone. There are plenty of countries where there is a unified culture and language and accent, but not a unified race or ethnicity. England, Scotland, and France are great examples of this. Despite the fact that there are many different races in these countries, they all speak relatively the same. They have a unified accent. You can't tell someone's background based on their voice, because their accents are similar. Ali G is a fictional character created and played by Cohen, who had his own show and interviewed many famous people who had no idea that Ali G was going to be the one interviewing them. Hilarious antics ensued, since Ali G, the character, is brash, painfully honest, and not terribly bright. Additionally, the celebrities had no idea that Ali G was just a character. They thought he was his own person, and had no idea it was actually Cohen in disguise. According to his Wikipedia article, Ali G is a fictional stereotype of a British suburban male who imitates urban black British hip-hop culture and British Jamaican culture, particularly through hip-hop, reggae, drum and bass and jungle music, as well as speaking in rude boy-style English with borrowed expressions from Jamaican patois. Celebrities in his interviews included Donald Trump, Buzz Aldrin, David Beckham, Newt Gingrich, and many more. And so race and racial discrimination are a bit different because almost everyone shares the belief of if you sound like me, then you are like me. Another comedian who has talked about this, and perhaps the previous generation knows a bit more than my own generation, is Ali G. Sasha Baron Cohen is a comedian and actor, and you may know him from Hugo, or as King Julian from Madagascar. As you may notice, Ali G is quite a controversial figure, especially nowadays. In his skits, his voice and accent caused many of the celebrities to be confused about his race and ethnic identity. They made assumptions about who he was, where he came from, and were generally confused by his presentation. Cohen himself is white passing, but many questioned his race as well. Here's a brief clip from one of his interviews. Check it out, I is here with none other than my main man, Buzz Aldrin. I know this is a sensitive question, but what was it like not being the first man on the moon? Was you ever jealous of Louis Armstrong? He was Neil Armstrong, and no, I was not jealous. He was a very, very Whatever. qualified person, yeah. My mother is an intellectual property lawyer and has to deal with language every day. Many are surprised when they talk to her, since she writes so formally, but has a bit of an accent when speaking. Thinking back and watching some of the funny interviews he's had, it's still shocking to think that changing something as simple as the pronunciation of words 
can cause others to dramatically shift the way they think about you. This made me think of my own family. Being born to two Iranian immigrants, I've seen firsthand the way accents influence others. Her accent is slightly British and has only hints of Iranian, so some of her words sound distorted from native English. But my parents' accents are very mild, and I personally don't notice it, although others sometimes point it out when they meet them. My dad is the same. He is an Iranian physicist and business owner. Approached by the U.S. government to help with the Air Force and pilots flying, he created the originally research-based company Alpha Micron. As first-generation Americans with English as their second language, they have experience with accents, language, and people's perception of them because of these things. As a scientist, I have a feeling that if my father's accent were stronger, he wouldn't be taken as seriously in his profession. A thick, a thick accent might suggest that he is foreign, that maybe he knows less, and that maybe his work isn't as credible. These are stereotypes we often associate with people with accents that differ from our own. But because he speaks similarly to the people around him, his work and his knowledge is taken seriously. I have Persian friends who have slight accents, and unfortunately, that means that sometimes people make sweeping judgments and prejudiced assumptions. I also have extended family members who are some of the top doctors and medical professionals in Iran, ranking in the top 10 of an exam given to every student in every part of the country. But because of their thick accents, they're unable to find work, and many don't take their qualifications and achievements seriously, even within the medical community. It's an unfortunate reality that many immigrants and others with accents experience. Not being taken seriously, not being seen as equal even if it's clear that they are, and being seen as different as a whole. But just as I have examples in my life of language separating people, it can just as easily bring people together. When I traveled to Morocco, I was the only member of my troop who was Middle Eastern. When I was a kid, my parents tried to teach my brother and I both Farsi, the language that Iranians speak, and English. However, I couldn't differentiate between the two, and I'd often combine the two languages to describe something. My brother did the same. After their attempts to distinguish the two languages didn't work, they decided to just speak to me in English. Although I sometimes wish I grew up bilingual, I can't help but feel glad that I didn't grow up with an accent. Although there is a chance that I wouldn't have had a prominent accent despite knowing the two languages, I think my English-speaking accent would still be affected, and that would greatly change how others view me. I quickly became fascinated with the Arabic language, since there are similarities to Farsi, and I asked two of our Moroccan guides to teach me. They taught me phrases in Arabic, and I caught on pretty quickly since most of the syllables are similar to Farsi ones. When I used the phrases that they taught me, it caused other villagers to break out into wide smiles. As soon as I spoke their language, they felt a kinship with me, and we connected very well. With language comes a sense of pride, a sense of national identity. When I spoke their language, they felt happy that I was trying to learn their mother tongue. They felt proud. And ultimately, languages can bring people from opposite sides of the world together. That is one of its incredible powers. I'm going to play one more Trevor Noah clip, this time from chapter three, entitled Trevor Pray. When I was growing up, we used to get American TV shows rebroadcast on our stations. Doogie Howser, MD, Murder, She Wrote, Rescue 911 with William Shatner. Most of them were dubbed into African languages. ALF was in Afrikaans. Transformers was in Sutu. But if you wanted to watch them in English, 
the original American audio would be simulcast on the radio. You could mute your TV and listen to that. Watching those shows, I realized that whenever black people were on screen speaking in African languages, they felt familiar to me. They sounded like they were supposed to sound. Then I'd listen to them in simulcast on the radio, and they would all have black American accents. My perception of them changed. They didn't feel familiar. They felt like foreigners. Language brings with it an identity and a culture, or at least the perception of it. A shared language says we're the same. A language barrier says we're different. The architects of apartheid understood this. Part of the effort to divide black people was to make sure we were separated, not just physically but by language as well. In the Bantu schools, children were only taught in their home language. Zulu kids learned in Zulu. Tswana kids learned in Tswana. Because of this, we'd fall into the trap the government had set for us and fight among ourselves, believing that we were different. The great thing about language is that you can just as easily use it to do the opposites: convince people that they are the same. Racism teaches us that we are different because of the color of our skin, but because racism is stupid, it's easily tricked. If you're a racist and you meet someone who doesn't look like you, the fact that he can't speak like you reinforces your racist preconceptions. He's different, less intelligent. A brilliant scientist can come over the border from Mexico to live in America. But if he speaks in broken English, people say, "Hey, I don't trust this guy." But he's a scientist. Yeah, in Mexican science, maybe. I don't trust him. However, if the person who doesn't look like you speaks like you, your brain short circuits because your racism program has none of those instructions in the code. Wait, wait, your mind says. The racism code says if he doesn't look like me, he isn't like me. But the language code says if he speaks like me. He is like me. Something is off here. I can't figure this out. Now, this all may seem a bit over-exaggerated. South Africa's culture, the Persian culture of my family, and even a hyper-specific type of British street culture may not seem applicable to our everyday lives in America. So I'm going to walk you through a brief exercise. I'm going to play the same audio clip with two speakers of roughly the same demographic. Age or race-wise, I want you to close your eyes and try to associate things with these two speakers. Be honest with yourself and let the thoughts flow. Please call Stella. Ask her to bring these things with her from the store: six spoons of fresh snow peas, five thick slabs of blue cheese, and maybe a snack for her brother Bob. We also need a small plastic snake and a big toy frog for the kids. She can scoop these things into three red bags, and we will go meet her on Wednesday at the train station. Please call Stella. Ask her to bring these things with her from the store: six spoons of fresh snow peas, five thick slabs of blue cheese, and maybe a snack for her brother Bob. We also need a small plastic snake, a big toy frog for the kids. She can scoop these things into three red bags, and we will go meet her Wednesday at the train station. You may have noticed that although the speakers were saying the exact same things, you probably associated different things with each of them. One was an older white British man from Oxfordshire, to be precise, who spoke with an upper-class English accent. When he asked the fictional person Sarah to grab things, maybe you pictured British stereotypes such as drinking tea. Perhaps, since he sounded of a higher class, you thought of nicer clothes. Maybe he was wearing a suit. 
sitting at a dining table with nice teacups. He sounded sophisticated, educated, refined, and wise. The second voice was an older white man from Georgia in the United States. Despite saying the exact same words, it probably had a different connotation in your head. Maybe you pictured a stereotypical depiction of the American South. A ranch, perhaps. Maybe a countryside landscape. When he says the phrase, she can scoop these things into three red bags, it sounds less prim and proper, as if she is gathering hay or something and not toys. It's fascinating how the phrase train station has very different connotations depending on the voice who says it. With the British voice, maybe you imagine a Harry Potter-like train station, whereas with the American voice, maybe you picture a Wild West film. Now, I'm fully aware that these are stereotypes, but when asking around for other people to do this exercise, I realized that many of them had the same pictures as I did, and admitted to some of these stereotypical portrayals. Remember, you don't have to agree with your assumptions. This is just an exercise to recognize that they exist. Think about a situation where you need a life-saving treatment. Imagine two different scenarios. In the first, the doctor speaks to you in perfect English, matching your dialect without the trace of an accent. In the second, the doctor speaks to you with a heavy accent. Both doctors explain the same medical terms for you, and in the same way, using the same words. Think and ask yourself honestly, would you trust one more? Does one of them put you more as at ease? What if the one that spoke perfect English seemed less qualified, but the one that spoke with an accent seemed like they knew what they were doing? Does your answer change, or does it not? Think about why. Practicing this exercise with others, I quickly realized that pretty much everyone has these subconscious thoughts. Some of our imagery that attached to the two accents were almost identical. Looking at my friends and classmates, their eyes closed, half of them with somewhat horrified expressions on their faces as they confronted a bias that was deep ingrained, they realized it too. But this is in no way to bring others down, or to call you out if you experience this. Luckily with these things, once you become aware that your internal biases exist, it is far easier to manage them. Having these impulsive thoughts doesn't make you a bad person. What makes you a good person is how you use them, or how you decide to deal with them. I will warn you though, once you begin looking at language and things this way, you begin to see how integral language is to all of our interactions, and it may make you question the way you thought or spoke about different people. I also thought deeply about where these stereotypes about language may have come from, and I believe that one of the biggest proponents of them is the media and pop culture. I know we tend to pile on the media whenever something bad happens, but in nearly every movie I can think of, when they want to show the villain as classy and refined, they almost always use a British accent. When they want to show the villain slash antagonist as rough around the edges, they might use someone with a Russian accent. We see this so much that we begin to make sweeping judgments about these accents and the people speaking them. However, this topic raises the question, should we have a universal language? This is a question that has been debated at length, and there are good points on both sides. Remember that this is open-ended, and there aren't really any right answers. On the one hand, language is an expression of culture. Trying to create a universal language would mean that an aspect of thousands of cultures would be erased, or at least disregarded. On the other hand, we've explored this topic and seen firsthand that language brings people together and is integral for communication. Would the sacrifice be worth it? 
Do languages divide us more than they unify us? Until we can figure out a way for all of us to speak the same language, or even with the same accent, there are still things we can do. Try this exercise that I walked you through on people in your life. The best way to confront bias is to recognize it, educate yourself, and talk with the people in your life. Once I realized I had internal biases concerning accent and language, I began to call myself out on my behavior. If I grew uncertain listening to a scientist of a different culture, I reminded myself that his accent did not equate to being any less intelligent. Record-breaking science is the same in every culture, and him speaking another language doesn't change that. Confronting biases can be hard, but it's possible to change your perception and to look at your subconscious. And that's about all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast episode about the power of language. I'm Kimia Tahiri, and I'm a senior in high school. I've been in CORE for three years and SCORE for four years. I'm so happy to have been a part of this organization, and I'm eternally grateful for all the opportunities I've been given. I won't forget the in-classroom days, working with the kids, having laughs with my SCORE members, and having meaningful and deep conversations with fellow SCORE leaders that expand my perspective in new ways. I'm so proud of the work we've done, and I can't wait to see where we go next. Thanks for listening, and have a wonderful day.